A 16-year-old boy from Korea worked as a laborer for a small hotel in his hometown. The young man left work one day after finishing up business as usual but was never seen again. Just a few days later, his body was found in the nearby woods and he'd been beaten to death and strangled. However, six months after this, the man showed up on his mother's doorstep alive and well. If this is true, who was the young boy who was found beaten in the woods? Before we really dive into this, I just want to make one thing clear. I know nothing about the Korean language, so I'm not even going to pretend to know how to pronounce some of the names in this story. So if you see some names pop up on screen from time to time, that's why. I'd hate to offend anybody by pronouncing anyone's name wrong, so it's probably just better if you guys just read it for yourselves. On April 29th, back in 1930, a young woman lived in a village in Korea that was being occupied by Japan. The woman left her home that day, headed to the nearby hills to try to find some greens that she could bring home and cook up for her family. While she was searching, she found a lot more than she bargained for. Police were called into the woods as the woman had stumbled across the body of a young teenager who had clearly met with a terribly tragic end. The boy's body was covered in more bruises than the woman could count, and he'd been beaten so badly that he was completely unrecognizable. Near the boy's body, police found a small towel, and it wouldn't be long before the coroner suggested that his cause of death was strangulation, with police believing that the towel was most likely used to keep the boy from breathing. What made his death so shocking was not simply that he'd been beaten in such a savage way, but that he lived in a fairly quiet countryside town. Crimes simply didn't happen here, and everyone knew everyone. So if this is the case, how could someone take the life of this young boy and no one see or hear anything? Police now not only were tasked with finding out who took this young boy's life, but also who this young boy even was. Police returned to the village and asked around, hoping to meet someone who knew the boy's identity. Eventually, they simply asked the public if they knew of anyone who'd gone missing recently, or at the very least, knew of someone who they hadn't seen around in the last few days. The only name that villagers could provide was the name of a 16-year-old boy named Park Cheng Su. Park was a young man who spent most of his days working for a nearby inn. He worked here from quite some time and was well-known in the local community. He was last seen on April 26th by a local innkeeper, who saw him hanging out with a man named to Cho Ki-jun. According to the innkeeper, Cho was seen chasing the young man around and beating him with a stick. This was all the evidence police needed to bring Cho in for questioning. Now, we have to keep in mind that police and their investigation tactics at the time were a far cry from what they are today. Human rights essentially did not exist back then, so officers would often do whatever they needed to in order to get a confession from someone else even if this meant assaulting them or worse. With this in mind, it's pretty obvious to say that Cho admitted to the murder of this young boy and was immediately sent through the court system for it. In his confession, Cho claimed that he was not the one directly responsible for the boy's death. Instead, he blamed it on his acquaintance, Ko. Cho says that Ko, a young lady in her 20s, was quite promiscuous at the time and was always being asked out by various men. In fact, she'd been forced to leave her previous home after her husband's first wife, yes, he had two wives, became incredibly jealous of her and wanted her out of the home. This led the young lady's husband to give her a large sum of money and help her set up an inn that was just a few towns away. Cho explained that Park Cheng Su, 
found out that Ko was having an affair and ran off to tell her husband. When Ko found out that Park did this, she allegedly took his life and left his body on the nearby hillside. I know this may be a little bit difficult to keep up with considering so many of the people involved in this case have fairly similar names, but to keep it short, both Ko and Cho were sentenced to prison for more than a decade. While their court sessions were being carried out, police were busy trying to find the mother of Park. When police finally tracked her down, she confirmed that the body they had found belonged to her son. She mentioned that the clothes he was wearing didn't belong to him, but she knew without a doubt that this body belonged to her son. For investigators, it seemed it seemed like the case had reached an end and they were ready to move along, but things wouldn't be this easy. In October of that same year, 16-year-old Park showed up on his mother's doorstep. When he arrived, reports claim that his mother believed he was a ghost who was visiting her from beyond the grave. The case gets even crazier because, as it would turn out, the confession that both Cho and Ko gave was 100% true. They'd taken Park out to the woods and beaten him to a pulp, but as it turns out, he didn't die. He says that he passed out at some point during the attack and was understandably afraid to return to his hometown. This led to him to run to a nearby village and live there for a few months while he healed. He took on a job as a laborer to help keep himself fed and clothed and returned home after he felt that the drama surrounding Ko's potential affair had finally died off. But if all of this was true, who had been buried in Park's grave. Everyone involved in the case was completely baffled. After all, two people had just been sent to prison for murder, yet their victim was now alive and well. Naturally, everyone began pointing fingers at one another, with prosecutors blaming police for conducting a poor quality investigation. Though police were now pointing fingers at Park's mother, claiming that she should be able to identify her own son's body. Theories began to circulate, claiming that Park's mother had likely been pressured into confirming that the body they'd found was her son. Much like how they conduct their interrogations, rumors were spread that police were known to strong-arm families into confirming that bodies that didn't belong to them actually did. So regardless of who this body may have belonged to, it's likely that Park's mother was asked to confirm that the body did belong to her son, even if it didn't. It should also be mentioned that the boy had been dead for a week before his supposed mother was brought in to identify him, so that definitely plays a part here as well. But really, if police had just listened to the woman's comment about the clothes the boy was wearing, when she said that they clearly didn't belong to him, they should have conducted a much more thorough investigation, but I suppose that if police are just looking to close a case, it doesn't really matter if they establish the truth or not. To make matters worse, the police had given the clothing that had been on the boy's body to his supposed family. However, the family had since thrown it away, likely because they knew it didn't belong to their son. So this leads us to the two people who were charged with the boy's murder, Ko and Cho. The judge who worked on their case knew that the two deserved a retrial, but he couldn't really do anything about it until the prosecutors requested one. Obviously, prosecutors drugged their feet around and didn't really get in too much of a hurry, but both Ko and Cho were eventually given a retrial. In the end, they both admitted to providing a false confession to police, and they were set free shortly thereafter. However, even after all of this played out, the body of the young boy who was found in the woods that day has never been identified. But that's the video for today, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. If you loved it, maybe consider sharing, subscribing, or clicking that blue join button below to really show your support for the channel. But I've been Ty Knots. You guys have been lovely, and I'll catch you in the next video.
Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save. 